Hi there, so my name is Nick Covington. I'm from the Human Restoration Project, and we're here to talk today about the, the NAEP results. So the results of the National Assessment of Educational Progress, or NAEP, NAEP, were released yesterday, September 1st, prompting a New York Times headline that read, the pandemic erased two decades of progress in math and reading. The 74 headline added two decades of growth wiped out by two years of pandemic. Peter Green, an education policy watcher, called it NAEP Pearl Clutching Day. And I myself even tweeted a lot about this. Um, you know, with the release of the pandemic NAEP scores, we're about to have the worst cycle of education discourse imaginable. And man, did that uh, ring true. <laughs> so everyone seems to run to their corners to abolish teachers unions, attack the remote and hybrid learning precautions that we took, mask mandates and just relitigating every pandemic issue imaginable. Uh, the results even brought out the usual resident experts and everything, uh, like Matt Iglesias, who called the scores a short-term L for the left that was more supportive of closure. So while everyone online is jumping to conclusions, uh, we thought it would be important to help provide some context, step back and take, take inventory of the data, the claims, the headlines, and provide some context and forecast the next steps. So what, if anything, could or should we do in response to that report? So I reached out uh, to author and educator John Warner, whose intuition I tend to trust on this kind of thing. Uh, John's the author of several books, Why They Can't Write, The Writer's Practice, and Sustainable, Resilient, Free, The Future of Public Higher Education, released in 2020. So thanks, John, for making the time to turn around and talk with me about that today. Oh, my pleasure. Good to uh, see you and uh, try to make some sense of this stuff that's going on. Yeah, let's let's get right into it. So let's just start with what the results say and what do they mean? And maybe we can compare that to the headlines as well. What, what do the results say? What should we make of them? So in contrast to the headlines, which frame this around this idea that somehow learning the nine-year-olds, again, we got to remember what we're talking about. We're talking about nine-year-olds we took a single uh, test for reading and math uh, back sometime in the early part of the year, um, have scored at a level that is consistent with student scores on average from 20 years ago. Uh, the history of the, of the NAEP test has been a kind of uh, relatively steady growth and increase in scores. So when we say it's equivalent to 20 years ago, it's, uh, you know, uh, significantly lower than students who took it uh, the last time it was administered, which was 2020, um, and therefore on par with students who uh, took it in more like students who took it in 2002. Um, the, the headlines erasing two decades of progress or two decades of growth are, are wiped out are um, absurd. Uh, that these were allowed to be published in major national publications are um, should be to their everlasting shame because that's not what this data says. What this data says is at uh, one particular time and place, nine-year-olds scored this on this exam for reading and math. Um, we can now take a step back and ask, so what are the factors that have gone into this score that is significantly lower than the last time it was taken, that is on par with 20 years ago um, prior to what has been a sort of gradual increase? But the idea that suddenly our nation's nine-year-olds are uh, 20 years behind 
where they should be is is it's nuts. Uh, and even just thinking, let's assume that's true, right? That somehow our nation's nine-year-olds have been getting ste- getting steadier, steadily smarter over the last twenty years, or learning steadily more over the last twenty years. Um, how are our 28, 29, 30-year-olds doing today? Just fine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the notion that these scores are dispositive, that they um, carry some sort of predictive, inevitable predictive weight for a future 20 years from now, 10 years from now, five years from now, is a, a total abuse and misuse of, of what a single test and a single data point means it doesn't mean it's meaningless but it does not mean what these screaming headlines say and i think absent from those singular pieces of data that are going around now is all of the context of the last two years to go alongside that too um something that you've commented commented on and i've commented on as well is i mean missing from reducing the experience of the last two years into two singular points and particularly just for reading and math disregarding every other um, uh, subject that that kids would study in school, but um, kind of just disregarding the project of the last two years, which might not have been to keep raising math and reading scores, but instead, you know, to turn schools into um, safer learning environments that adults and students alike can inhabit without getting each other sick, um, risking bringing infection home to others, um, you know, scrambling for schools to be able to provide the same level of services that schools have provided in terms of um, free meals um, to students and and um, and obviously you know childcare then for working parents as well. So there was just a seismic cultural shift uh, uh, across the entire board. And one of the reasons why I think I mean the NAEP is called you know the nation's report card. It's the gold standard for these standardized assessments. Is even though the world might change around it, you know NAEP always stays the same. And yet. Here we have this assessment result that seems incongruous with our experience of the last two years. I was just looking back at a Gallup survey from uh, earlier this summer that said K-12 workers are the most burned out employees in the United States, right? Higher burnout rates than medical workers, than anybody else. College faculty are um, on that list as well. So when you look at, you know, a five-point decline in, uh, in in math or reading scores alongside teachers are the most burned out employees in the entire country, you say, well, what what were we doing? You know, if we were just sitting at home doing nothing, surely we wouldn't be as burned out um, as we were. So why does that framing matter? You know, like how how could, what could a more meaningful, um, I would even say like conscientious, you know, conscientious reporting of these results um, do? What's missing from, from this discourse that we're having online about this? Well, one of the things we should recognize is, um, as the nation's report card, as the snapshot of something that that uh, of a test on a single day in a single context at a single time, is disruption has happened, and this is now reflected in the data. Um, whatever schooling was in whatever form it took under whatever circumstances, um, was disrupted by a global pandemic. And so not only school was disrupted, the entire lives of everybody in the country and the world was disrupted. So the notion that um, we could have uh, avoided this with some kind of different school or different choices, um, going back in person, 
uh, sooner or anything like this. It's not reflected in any of the data. In fact, in some of the underlying data they release, there's there's uh, indications that none of that mattered, right? Like uh, in in reading scores, students who are in city districts, their, their reading scores were actually flat. The only metric that that didn't go down, um, and right. these were schools that were much more likely to be closed for longer. Uh, regional differences uh, don't tell us. Uh, much of anything in terms of uh, schools in the South, which were more likely to go back to school in person sooner, uh, had uh, decreases equivalent to, and in some cases greater than, schools in the Northeast, which were likely to um, have gone back in person uh, later. So what we have really is a picture like a big thing happened. And this big thing has affected how students perform on this test. And it could be any number of reasons. It could be uh, something like actual specific test prep is the thing that was sacrificed. And if that was the case, that would be a really interesting finding. It would, it would tell us that these sorts of tests, when they're prepped for, maybe don't tell us all that much about what students are learning. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I don't know how big a factor that is or if it's a factor at all. It could be that. Uh, students were um, grieving the loss of a caretaker. It could mean that students who were, and there is some data to suggest this, students who are on the lower end of the scale in terms of, of performance were um, more significantly affected by this, these disruptions. So their scores decreased by a larger percentage. So it's like these, these um, marginal students often in uh, situations that where they don't have sufficient resources uh, for their educations or even their their lives, um, their scores fell off a cliff while others were you know were, were more modest. Um, these are all things that we can you know dig in deeper and, and try to figure out over time, not necessarily from the NAEP score, um, but but other tests and and, and other uh, indicators. But we, we don't know what many people are claiming to know, that um, in-person school uh, would have made a difference or removing masks would have made a difference or uh, that remote learning cannot work under any circumstance. Um, we do know that students who tend to have less access to good educational resources did even worse than those with better access. Um, but beyond that, we, we just don't know all that much. We know something really big happened, and it's going to take time to recover from it. Um, I, I, I used this analogy yesterday in, in a piece I'm writing and working on. Um, imagine we're talking about domestic air travel, right, where over 800,000 people took a flight in uh, 2019, and that dropped to 300,000 in 2020. And it's up over 650,000 or something like that in 2021. If you compared 2021 to 2019, you would say that the air travel industry is collapsing uh, because uh, uh, we're down from 800,000 to 650,000. The reality is it's in the midst of a recovery after a large shock that has caused significant change. I think that's a much more plausible explanation of what's happening with students. And the idea that um, these students will be permanently harmed or that they cannot recover from this, uh, I think is 
is totally unfounded, counterproductive, and really anybody who wants to say that is pressing an agenda that does not have much to do with trying to understand at a deeper level and more practical and actionable level, what can we do to help students in schools today, tomorrow, next year? We're going to continue to experience some level of disruption from this pandemic who are going to continue to have their own issues around burnout, just as their uh, teachers are, and uh, are not out of the woods in terms of the effects of this disruption. Certainly. And I think what is what is so interesting, um, right, is is this just is such a microcosm of what it says about how we use data in education, uh, what data counts, and kind of how we communicate the success of schools and school systems in the general public. Um, a, a couple points on this, I think. One of my concerns, then, is just understanding how reactive our political systems are um, to something like the NAEP score, to a New York Times headline. Um, we're going to be making some really dramatic changes to education um, in response to, in the short term, in response to the singular piece of data um, that is ju just going to serve that data. So the conversations that I've, I've seen are around accelerated learning, um, extending school hours or the school year, even though the United States already has students in schools and um, American teachers already work more hours and teach, uh, have more contact time with students than their counterparts in the rest of the world. Um, you know, all of these potential solutions. Um, and one thing that I think is particularly interesting, too, is that I don't think it was th th these results are a surprise. Right. Like, I don't mean to sound callous at all in, the, in this kind of sense, too. T to your point, we faced a global disruption. We have a million dead Americans. We have hundreds of thousands of orphan children. And right to expect that schools were going to be immune from those changes, we, we really were just going to be. It was a question of what are the, what is the drop going to be in these test scores, right? Because schools were focused on other priorities. Um, now, the other part of this that I think is interesting, and again, not surprising, is that those the, the score drops tracked alongside the the groups in society who would have been most heavily impacted by uh, the various waves of the pandemic, right? Um, you said, you know, people in the in the Northeast, the South, you know, poor communities. Um, uh, black and brown communities that are underserved in so many of the other um, aspects of, uh, of public life and, and access to health care um, and, all, and all of that as well. And I think what is, what is particularly frustrating is our response is not really going to meet the needs of those communities uh, in the sense that we know that it's going to take more resources to sort of, um, you know, uh, not just resolve the, the tensions that are simmering socially, but there's also this leap into the pedagogical side of things too. So we want to try and solve these systemic social issues of lack of access to healthcare and poverty, et cetera, with these pedagogical programs. They're going to try to solve it when they get to the schoolhouse door. Um, so kind of to respond to this, I'm curious what your, what your um, response is here, but what do we say to those people who are going to argue that this data is important um, that it's helpful for us in order to address those equity concerns. Um, so, you know, it pretty demonstrably um, shows that, you know, people in underserved communities um, or hit harder than people with more resources. That's not a surprise to anyone who's been in education for longer than five minutes. Um, you know, they, they, they would argue we have the data. Here's the data. Here's how it shows how kids 
um, who were behind, fell behind even further. Um, again, probably referring to poor kids, black and brown kids, et cetera, um, that this data is going to help us target those interventions, accelerations, et cetera, right? There's a lot of sincere uh, uh, people who uh, believe that that's going to be doing what is best for kids. And what what is the response to that? You know, is there is there a response? What's the conversation? Well, you know, I, I think if, if there's any um, clear response to this data, and really this is a response to the NAEP data every single year, it's that mm-hmm. uh, under-resourced schools need more resources. And uh, schools by themselves cannot fix larger um, social ills and lack of um, access to uh, stable, um, you know, healthy uh, existences. Uh, the, the data says, as, as, as we've been talking, if you were um, in a worse situation in terms of access to high-speed internet, or your own computer, or a quiet place to study, or some adult at home to help, your score dropped more. These are all things that are still in place, even if we go back to school. And uh, school really, you know, this this test and and, uh, schooling in general is really often a byproduct of the larger societal atmosphere and the things that are going on around students. The uh, notion that um, this is going to be solved by a kind of accelerated um, schooling or uh, sometimes what sounds just like a harder cracking of the whip over the heads of students as we try mm-hmm. to spur them on to achievement seems misguided to me because, as we know, the loss has not only been to their academics, it's been a loss to their overall uh, experience of of their humanity, you know, as it has been for all of us, right? Uh, Teachers and others aren't burned out only because they've been working under uh, difficult circumstances, either through remote learning or the challenges of trying to teach in person while mitigating the virus. It's that there has been a lot of other stuff uh, going on in our lives around the virus, not the least um, loved ones getting sick uh, and, and potentially Dying, so there is a um, larger recovery to this and a longer recovery to this. One of the um, points I, I try to make with people is: a year from now, we're going to get next year's NAEP scores, and they're going to go up. And people are going to be asking about the NAEP miracle: how did we return to you know the previous status quo or close to it in just a year's time when we were twenty years behind? Uh, uh, last year, and my answer um, right now, and it'll be the same next year, is time. We need time to process. We need time to quite literally heal. We need time also, and this is the thing that I wish more of these conversations were about, to figure out what school can and should be going forward. Mm-hmm. The um, tremendous... Uh, hunger to return to the status quo among many corners of the discussion baffles me because there were a lot of criticisms, justified criticisms of the status quo from from various uh, parts of the spectrum. 
um, from people who I would fundamentally disagree with, they were also critical of the status quo. I was critical of the status quo. Um, why are we rushing to go back to something that nobody thought was ideal? Um, just because it's more comfortable, just because it seems better than, than uh, what's going on currently. I think those are all natural responses, but I think it's um, a shame if we don't use this as an opportunity to have better, deeper conversations about what students would benefit from in our schools. Um, so we can use these scores as a way to have those conversations. Unfortunately, that's not what's really been going on, at least not in the first 36 hours since the scores release. Yeah, this this is definitely the the instant react kind of uh, idea. But I I I really doubt that the discourse is going to get a lot more a lot healthier after that. Well, it's, it really, it's, become a, yeah. it's become this tug of war, right? Um, yes. of, of the various forces that want to bend uh, schools to their to their idea of what schools should be, and so yes. seizing on this data point in order to do that was wholly predictable. Um, it's it's dismaying. Um, it's very difficult to counteract because the, the first impulse is to uh, simply grab your end of the rope and start tugging it uh, in the direction you want. Um, but if we can at least advocate for a smarter conversation, um, maybe we can make some collective progress. I, I, I take the I, I try to take the good faith of those who see these things differently um, seriously, that they also want students to thrive and do well in school. So if that's the case, we should be able to have a better, deeper conversation rather than litigating the past, rather than trying to trying to um, get in our time machine and decide if students should have been in person sooner or should have been masked or whatever. All that is done. We, People tried to make the best decision they could have based on what we knew at the time. Um, that's all we can do right now going forward. So let's have a decent look at what's happening so we can make some better decisions. I think that's a great place to end it, John. So thank you so much for spending some time uh, unpacking that with me today. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks again to John Warner for joining me for that conversation. You can follow him on Twitter at BibliOracle. You can also keep the conversation going by following us at HumeResPro and by visiting our website, humanrestorationproject.org. We have an entire learning loss handbook that is over 50 pages of history and insight into these tests and the learning loss narrative, particularly surrounding the last two years of pandemic schooling. In addition, we have a podcast on the topic of learning loss with Akil Bello and highlights of that same episode available on our YouTube channel if you search for Human Restoration Project. Thanks for listening. Thank you.